This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Sheikh Jassim, Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Or perhaps it's status quo with the Glazers. The tug of war for one of the biggest football clubs in the world, Manchester United, continues to unfold. Whether it's Manchester City's ownership and its UAE government links, or talks of Newcastle United's close ties with the Saudi Arabia state, football ownership is well and truly in the spotlight. Hi, I'm ST Sports reporter Deepanraj Ganesan, and this is ST's Hard Tackle, where we examine, analyse and debate a sports topic each month. And in today's episode, Sport Business Group Leader for Deloitte Asia Pacific, James Walton, and my ST colleague Sazali Abdul Aziz join me to get stuck into this topic that's divided fans all around the world. The ultimate question is, should fans care about their owners and who or what they stand for? Firstly, welcome gentlemen to ST's Heart Tackle. Hi Sazali, hi James. Hi there. Hi Deeps, you're looking uh, nice today. Thank you so much. Now first and foremost, so much talk about football ownership, various different businessmen. James, can you give us an understanding of why football clubs are attractive to businessmen? Are football clubs actually profitable? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons that more and more business people are looking at this. And in some cases in the past, we've seen it almost as a form of capital flight and people moving money out of their countries. There was a lot of talk with the wave of Russian ownership that came the first time that this was people trying to get into the UK or get into France and take their oligarch money and get out before Putin turned on them or something like that, right? And then we saw similar with China at various times. In some cases, it's a vanity project. And that's what our own Singaporean Peter Lim has sometimes been perhaps unfairly accused of is that it's really about a networking opportunity and to put him at the table. But increasingly in recent times, people are actually seeing that with the way that the prices of clubs are going, that it is a speculative investment opportunity. And you've only got to look at some of the prices that clubs are being bought at and then sold in the years ahead. You look at how much the Glazers played for Man United versus how much the prices they're talking about receiving are now. And it really is a huge multiple and it represents a great investment opportunity. So increasingly, it's becoming an opportunity to make some money, build some brand, but that potentially I can hold it for five years and I can double my money out the other side. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sazali, do you see that fans are getting a better understanding of why businessmen want to own football clubs? Like, from your understanding in the side of journalism over the years, do you feel it's a topic more people are talking about? Because, forgive me if I'm wrong, but previously... I didn't see much people talking about football ownership, but everyone's talking about it now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think in the last two decades, as pretty much what James has mentioned, football in general has become much more of a business. You see ownership and brokers are involved, uh, financial, the experts, they're all working behind the scenes. I happen to be uh, reporting on the alleged interest from the Singaporean cousins, if you recall, uh, yes, a, a few years ago. For Newcastle. Yes, yeah. for Newcastle and happened to speak to a broker in JP Morgan based in Hong Kong and he has told me off the record that he had been involved in several possible or attempted takeovers of clubs. You know, obviously not coups, just proper takeovers. And and really, it is a business thing and it's really become it come to the forefront in the last 20 years. I think before that, football was in many ways a much simpler game. Yeah, that's correct. James, I mean, he, he talked about it right there. You know, it was a much simpler industry at that time. But right now, do you think that more fans, and, and I'm not just talking about like European football, even in Singapore, a lot of the conversation sometimes around Lion City sailors revolves around, is Forrest Lee actually doing the right thing? You know, is he getting the club right? 
should fans actually be talking more and more about the ownership side of things? And why do you think this interest is even coming about? I think when you look back at the early days and you think back to Roman Abramovich and all that, I think there was an element was, okay, there's one or two teams and everyone else can throw brickbats at them and complain about them, but it's one or two. But it's almost got to a point now in the Premier League where you've either got the owner or you haven't got the owner. And when you look now at the league and you say, well, you've got Man City who are spending that money as owners, and now you've got Newcastle who are spending that money, and now you've got Man United talking about ownership. You've got Todd Bowley and Chelsea spending all that money. You've got Arsenal fans saying, why are our owners not spending enough money over the last couple of years, or they're a bit happier now. You've got Spurs fans saying, our owners are not spending enough money. It's almost become that there is such an arms race that if my owner is not spending that money, then my owner is not doing the right thing and get out the way. And I think we're going to lead into a discussion on this. That is then when your morals and your ethics and everything get a little bit conflicted because we have viewpoints on things that if it was an everyday incident happening, we would say, my God, that's outrageous. But then when it's the owner of our football team somehow connected to doing it, we all kind of go like, yeah, they killed a few people, but we're back in the Champions League, right? You know, Newcastle, not to say anything else. But, <laughs> but suddenly it becomes a bit, I'm conflicted by that. And meanwhile, other fans are sat there going, oh, your club owners, human rights violations. And then they're going, wait, what's that? We have owners coming in from a Middle East oil state? Oh, yeah, that's okay. That's all right. I'll take that as long as they spend the money, right? And people are finding themselves in these quandaries. But at the end of the day, they want their team to be successful. We would all love to have a multi-billionaire owner spending loads of money who earned it through philanthropic methods and is whiter than white and has done everything they should have done. But there's very few people in the world who fall into that category, right? Exactly. And, and like you said, we will dive into that topic a bit later on. But before, you know, I bring in Manchester United into the conversation and why they've been in the news in terms of their sale. Uh, Sazali, just using your black and white lens as a Newcastle fan, could you just share very quickly why the Mike Ashley reign was so frustrating and why you couldn't wait to have new owners? Just to give a perspective of how United fans are feeling. Do you understand how they're feeling? Okay, that, so that's a two-part question. Sure, I, I can give you my view. I've supported Newcastle since James Milner was a youngster at our club. So that's a long, long time ago. Fair bit of ups and downs. And as you mentioned, Mike Ashley, a lot more downs than ups. Literal relegations. To answer your other question, no, I don't get the Man United fans' frustrations and how they feel because I feel like what they are feeling is different. You know, okay. what they are feeling is they come from a place where, oh, cold, my team... It's called entitlement. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, I didn't want to use that word, but, but basically, oh, we used to be um, sitting at the big boys' table, winning everything, spending... They are still spending now. But, you know what I mean? They, they, they used to be among the elites of the elites mm. and now they are no longer that on the football pitch. I get that the club is not being run well by the Glazers in terms of how they've le leveraged it to make money and, you know, also service debts. But it's not like they've not put any ambition into the club on the football front. They know... And you they're know, still winning trophies. Not at the rate I think Deepen yeah. and the menu fans would like. But at but, a rate that Spurs fans would, would love. Yeah, no, <laughs> because at the end of the day, they know that to keep the Man United brand valuable, there needs to be some level of success and achievement. But it's crazy to me how Man United fans have cried about, oh, Glazers not spending enough money when five of the top 20 transfers of all time were, were spent under their reign. So it's just meant to me, you know. So what Newcastle fans suffered through was going through literally several, multiple transfer windows not making a permanent signing under Mike Ashley. 
Uh, you, had, you, know, you had your transfer record was from 2005 yes. to yeah. 2021 yeah, was Michael is, Owen at yeah. 25 million. Yeah. 16 years. And there was one transfer window where like every day I was reading, oh, Bournemouth broke their club record. This broke. And I'm like, our club record was like from 15 years ago. So, But there was also the other thing with Mike Ashley, right, was that besides the fact he wasn't spending money, he was then renaming St. Yeah, James's Park. I was, was going to get to that. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> and not just renaming St. James's Park. He turned the stadium into a billboard for his company, you know. So, and, and I have to say, that ruined my trip to St. James's Park. <laughs> All the photos I have have that stupid sports direct, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the background, yeah. you no know, blue and red, even in the tunnel, you know, mm. it was plastered everywhere. So, you know, you imagine if this is Enfield sign was surrounded by a corporate company's logo or the Old Trafford. One of you know, and, and you and didn't, but, called, but also you know, that you didn't feel like you were getting any money or value invested like, in the club in exchange absolutely. for that, right? So, so yeah, so like I said, if the Stratford End was renamed the Glazers Corner or something, then call me and say, Oh, we are in the same boat because I don't think it's the same thing. Yep, so the reason for that question, and James, I'm coming to you next, is that a lot of times in these past few weeks when I speak to fellow fans and I tell them. I'm not quite sure about the Qatar ownership or the possible Qatar ownership. And the retort that most United fans have is, oh, does that mean that you just want the Glazers to stick around? Do you want more of that? So can you empathise with these fans? Can you see why they are so desperate for new owners? I say it's an element of if you can't beat them, join them, right? And they say they're looking at Man City, they're looking at Newcastle now. And as I say, these fans who will sit there today and say oil money, blood money, everything else... Tomorrow, the Qataris are in charge. They'll be saying, it's our oil money, it's our blood money, and giving you reasons why this one is not so bad as, as the other one, right? So I kind of get where that's coming from. I think from a Man United point of view, look, there's a couple of paths that can play out here right now. One is that you get Sheikh Jassim, and, and you can talk about what you think about Qatar. And I've heard a lot of apologists, you know, talking about the World Cup and other things since, and it is what it is, Right. You may have Jim Ratcliffe, and there hasn't been too much dirt dug up on him and Ineos yet, but it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. Nobody can survive the scrutiny of the British press when it comes to it. But it increasingly looks more likely that this whole exercise has just been the Glazers looking for a way to increase the value of the club Mm. with a view to a minority investment, and that they will not take Sheikh Jassim because they want to keep control of the club, and that they will either sell 50% to Ineos, which is what the offer is, and retain a share so that they can cash in as the value goes up, or that they will bring in someone like the Carlisle Group as an investment. And the reason for that is because it's estimated that the Sheikh's offer is currently around £7.5 million, depending upon who you believe, somewhere between 6 to £7.5 billion. Um, and there have been independent assessments have been done that say that by 2030, 2031, the club will be valued at £12.5 billion. And so there's an element that the Glazers are sat there saying, well, if we cash out at 7.5 and it's going to go to 12.5, we're, going to, we're losing money, right? Mm. They would rather be a passenger that sits and watches that accumulate or get some investment in and be the ones riding that, that wave, right? So there's all kinds of economic scenarios coming out here. But the fans at the end of the day, they don't actually care about the politics. They don't actually care about the ownership structure the, or anything like that. They wouldn't care that the Glazers had loaded this team up with debt the way they have. And by the way, just came out a couple of weeks ago, the debt has gone up again this year, right? They wouldn't care if the club was winning trebles. Mm. 
They wouldn't care if they were beating Man City every single season. They would tell you, we love the Glazers. Debt? What's debt? We don't care what debt is. We'll win now and our value will go up. It all comes down to success on the pitch as far as the fans are concerned. And if Sheikh Jassim comes in, buys the club, spends a load of money and they don't win, the fans will turn on him as well. Uh, actually, you mentioned Jim Ratcliffe. Deepen, just to throw it back to you for a short while, I've seen on Twitter and what have you, Man U fans not be so keen on Jim Ratcliffe, even though he's one of Britain's richest men, because of his track record of what he has done with, I think it's Nice, nice right, yeah. in, in France, mm. uh, hasn't really invested your 50, 60, 70 million pounds on players, hasn't really put as much as fans, as James said, would like, you know, behind the club. And I feel like that's why majority of Man U fans are all like, oh, we hope Sheikh Jassim takes over because then we'll get that Middle East money, you know, mm-hmm. and we can spend as much as City and Newcastle. Do you get that vibe as well, that they're not so hot on Jim Radcliffe just because he's not going to th- splash money around? Yeah, so I think speaking to a lot of fellow fans, I think the intentions is clear, is that they want Sheikh Jassim to take over the club because of the sheer amount of money that comes into the club and how they can go on and buy the star players needed for success. But I think it comes back down to why do you support the club? And for me, one of the fundamental reasons as to why I support Manchester United was that the fact that they're high up on the academy players, bringing them into the setup. And we have a proud record of you know having a player, academy player in the squad for match day for many years. And for me, is that there's not so much said about Sheikh Jassim that you don't know who he is. So essentially what United fans are saying is, we don't know much about this guy. Don't know, don't care. Don't know, don't care. He's got the money, he's going to come in and he's going to do things. But then you lose the true essence of the club. This is all assumptions, by the way. You don't really know what he's going to do. So that's my problem, that there's not much being said about Sheikh Jassim. He's not reached out to the UK press to say much about himself either. So who is actually coming in to buy United? That's my biggest worry. Thanks for asking me the question, because where I was going with this was that, have you sensed the hypocrisy in all of this? Because... For the longest time, I've heard from my fellow fans about ah, Russian money with Chelsea. Ah, look at City, they're buying their way to success. It was Russian money, then Chinese money, then Oil American money. money yes. Then... <laughs> so, so all these things that United fans have said about the other clubs, but now almost 90% of United fans want the Qatar ownership to take over at United. So, you know, did you receive like brickbats from United fans when, when Newcastle was taken over by the Saudi investment fund? Um, I wouldn't say brick bats, just some playful jabs, you know, namely <laughs> photoshopping my face onto a Gutra, yes. for example, is, is one of them. But yeah, you know, I think ultimately football fans know, especially on this side of the world, they know that you can't do much about who owns your club. But I have to say, James, you, you mentioned early on about, oh, who cares if, you know, this and so on. But it's something that I have struggled to reconcile with even now, a year and a half later, because in terms of the groundwork in terms of the football, in terms of the work, honestly, the club has done in the Newcastle community, we've seen on obviously on online. and It has been fantastic. There's nothing to complain about. You know, the club has grown organically, honestly, not really spent crazy money yet. So, appointed a young well, British they, coach. They can't spend crazy money yet because the financial fair play is holding them back, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to a degree. But yeah, and, and they've earned Champions League qualification with a squad that largely was there before the takeover. So, okay, the thing is, speaking as a, as a Muslim fan also, I do sense there's a bit of Islamophobia or even racist undertones to some of the criticism, like how everybody recently, just a couple of days ago, was up in arms when the club's official Twitter uh, referred to our chairman, you know, Yasir Arumayan, with the title His Excellency. You know, it's, it's, you would have thought 
somebody killed someone, you know what I mean? Uh, no. We all, <laughs> no we all, because we all know in, in Newcastle, His no Excellency one. is a term that can only be used to apply to Alan Shearer. Ah. <laughs> that, that, that was the issue. Yeah. James knows what's up. And, you know, and, and there's this obvious narrative that's also being spun by some outlets. For example, I give you Ble- Bleacher Report. Also a few days ago, they tweeted a cartoon of Sandro Tonali. He's uh, on the verge of joining Newcastle mm-hmm. with a cartoon of him with bags of cash implying that mm. I think you, you might have seen yes, it yes I saw that yep. implying that oh he joined he left Milan to join Newcastle just for the money but he's reportedly on 150k a week which is big money but it's half of what Casemiro is earning at Man United it's almost the same as Danny Ings you know what I mean obviously there's some kind of prejudice agenda, almost, yeah. or mm. prejudice yeah, yeah exactly so you know when you see this, those kind of things as much as you try to like I said, I'm torn between, still don't know how to feel about it. But then, of course, I get defensive because I'm like, you guys are bullshitting mm-hmm. about this, uh, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's a very difficult situation. Like I said, even a year and a half now, I still don't know how to feel. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. And now back to our conversation with Sazali and James. And, and that's a very good segue for my next question. And, and Sazali, you have openly said about how, you know, you still struggle with how you really feel as a fan. And I'll start with James first. So my main question, and this is what I always do on ST's Heart Tackle, where, you know, midway in the conversation, I ask you about your stand. Should fans care about their owners and who they are? They should. I'm not saying they will, but they should. Because at the end of the day, football is football. It's 22 guys running around the pitch, kicking a ball. And... We can say it's a matter of life and death. You know, the old quote, football is not a matter of life and death. It's more than that. Well, the issues we're talking about here actually are a matter of life and death. It is actually people being persecuted, minorities being affected in life or death situations in some of these cases. And I hear what Sazali says about what the Newcastle ownership have done in the community. And you could look at that as... That is them trying to be part of the community and engender support and being in an underprivileged part of the UK and saying our money can change things. Or you can look at that and say it's sport washing. It depends what side of it the equation. It might be both. Uh, yeah, it depends what side of the equation that you're sitting on. But I think fans should care about this because at the end of the day, as I say, it is life and death matters. But I also understand that for a lot of fans, that if I'm sitting on a street in Newcastle in abject poverty, let's not cut any corners here in the descriptions, the northeast of England has a lot of people living below the poverty line, plain and simple. England is not not some magical place where people are all living in luxury. And in these communities and, th- and these people who are sitting there, who their only joy, they're unemployed, their situation is what their situation is, and the only joy they get is watching a football team on Saturday and whether that football team wins or loses changes their life. And then they're being asked to care about someone on the other side of the world who they've never met in a culture that they can't relate to, in a situation they can't relate to, and being told that because that person over there has something happening to them, your football team is wrong. And that's why we get the reaction that we get. So I think they should care, but I also understand why for many people it's very difficult for them to relate to that and to connect to that. And because of exactly what Sazali just said, there's an element is, oh, you know, we're going to sell newspapers by vilifying 
these new owners or by demonizing them or because we know that at the end of the day, whatever football team you want to pick on, it may be Newcastle today, Man United tomorrow, Liverpool the next day. You'll sell papers to every other football team supporters by criticizing that team. And you know what? With the exception of Liverpool, who are quite picky about what newspapers they read. Um, with, for the most part, if, if that newspaper, if they pick on Man United tomorrow, everybody will buy it. And the following day, they'll pick on Newcastle. And the Man United supporters will buy it because it's picking on Newcastle, right? So they're just trying to sell papers. And demonizing and vilifying is that. And then the fans start saying why are you attacking my team and not attacking that team? And it ends up just being a wash of the whole thing. So they should care, but they're not going to. Honestly, they're not going to. At the end of the day, 90% will not go, will not care. And if 10% of fans care, you know what? There are enough people on the season ticket waiting list. There are enough people buying merchandise out there. There are enough new fans of the club around the world because of the fact they're in the Champions League that those 10% of, of fans get lost. All right, I've gotten your stand. Uh, Sazali, should fans care about their owners and who they are? I think so. Again, as, as James said, they, absolutely they should. And like I said, and that's why I haven't said, oh, I, I throw my whole weight behind the PIF and their ownership mm. of Newcastle because there, there's a couple of points here. You know, Firstly, from a football standpoint, if in the next five or so seasons, Newcastle really do win the Premier League, get to the Champions League final or whatever, become really one of Europe's elite clubs. I don't really know how I would feel about it, honestly, because it's one of those things that will cross the bridge when we get there. But, you know, there are rumours of the PIF allegedly planning to use Saudi clubs as a vessel to get around financial fair play rules, loaning players and so on. Again, I have to say, as an aside, again, there's a bit of, as James says, vilifying the foreign owners kind of thing going on because, oh, look at these Middle Eastern guys where money is no object. They're trying to ruin our integrity that Europeans hold so dear. If we do get there eventually and become one of the world's top clubs, I would assume it feels very manufactured. Mm. You know, so so it's it's a, a very strange thing. But at this point, that in terms of the team, it's still very much in the building phase. So there's something exciting about it, and I'm on for the right. You know, and, and sorry, just something that you both have touched on is this element of can I care about something that I have no control over? Like at the end of the day. If, for example, I've said so much about how I'm a bit indifferent to if Sheikh Jassim were to take over. But at the end of the day, when the season starts, I see myself, you know, rooting for Manchester United to win those games. So, should I care about something they have no control over? I mean, it, it's very difficult to change football teams. What are you going to do? Go yeah. support another team? And there's been very few examples. Why not? So, sorry, why, why not? I mean, yes. It's, we, in, it's in your blood, right? I've been a Tottenham fan for ugh, 40 years, for better or for worse. And I can tell you that... If I turn around tomorrow and said, you know what, I don't agree with Daniel Levy, who am I going to go support, right? If I go and support this lot, Newcastle over here, I'm getting <laughs> crucified by, by, everybody, by everybody I know, right? So and if you look back in the history of football, how many times have there been situations where fans have en masse left a team and moved to another team? From an English point of view, I can only think of two instances which you could argue how successful it's been. One is Manchester United and FC United, United and the other yep. one is Wimbledon and, and MK Dons. I'd say the Wimbledon MK Dons is a funny one because it's a completely geographical difference. FC United, okay, it's had its moments, but it, it hasn't really done what they originally, you know, what was the plan? You were going to one day challenge Man United? I don't know, right? But I think that has almost come less as a revolt against 
foreign ownership and more almost as a revolt against modern football and that we want to go back to paying $5 for a ticket and enjoying the game and everything else, right? So when it comes to changing your team, I would love a situation for the sake of Singapore football. I know we're not here to talk about Singapore football, but where the, I don't know how many, half a million Man United fans that live in Singapore all turn around and say, no, we don't support Sheikh Jassim. We are going to go support our local football teams and the money we spend on merchandise and the time we spend watching Man United games, we're going to go watch the SPL. My God, it would be transformative. It ain't going to happen, right? Um, And so realistically, as I say, what will happen? Man United fans, 1% of fans worldwide might say, you know what, I'm taking a stand. I'm not going to buy merchandise anymore. How many fans are even going to the games? How many fans are even buying legitimate club merchandise, not the stuff you find on on Bangla Road in Phuket, right? But with the stuff that's actually the stuff that comes from the club. How many people are paying money to watch the club on TV in a way that the money of them watching directly influences how much gets paid in TV rights? They don't care. And for, as I say, for that 1% that leave, they'll sign a player and get more people. But just by the way, I'm looking forward to that Newcastle team you've just told us about with Cristiano Ronaldo and Karim Benzema up front, Kante <laughs> in the Kante midfield, in the Koulibaly <laughs> at the back. Now I know what's going on and now it all makes no, sense. But, but going back to the point about ownership, I mentioned earlier, I am aware, obviously, of the alleged spot washing and the allegations. When I'm trying to come to terms with it, I try to tell myself not to say oh, but so-and-so, you know, who <laughs> owns a, this what club. Aboutism? Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. So, because whataboutism is not the answer that I am looking for mm. personally to, to sort of understand and come to terms with it. Because a lot of powerful people have done a lot of bad things and it shouldn't be a case of one is more acceptable than the other, right? So, unfortunately, that's the thing, you know, we, we mentioned right at the top of the show, football in the last 20-odd years, 25-odd years, has become so toxic in this regard, off the pitch. Uh, it's become so much more of a business money, and, uh, dollars and cents kind of thing to the owners and to the people in the suits. And I think, you know, ultimately the club football top administrators are the ones that should bear the brunt of the blame for letting the state of the game go to this. Mm, I hear you. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about owners and, you know, in relation to the Middle East and sport washing and whatsoever. Just to to come away from that for a bit, James, time, to, uh, time for you to put on your, your Spurs hat because... It's a bit different at Spurs where there is no poor human rights record that the owner, uh, Joe Lewis, is is known for. They've been torturing a lot of fans (laughs) for a very long time. In a very different way, of course. Uh, But but Spurs fans are generally unhappy. Uh, And we see the same thing at Valencia where, you know, Peter Lim uh, has been in charge and they almost got relegated in the the last season. And again, that's also not a poor human rights record to speak of. In fact, in Singapore, Peter Lim has done a lot for athletes here in Singapore. Uh, but still a lot of unhappy uh, fan base. So at the end of the day, is it all down to just success? And if the team is successful, the owner is good. And, and if the owner is not good, that probably means the team is not successful. Is that just as simple as that to, to sum it all up? So, I mean, I, I, I know you want me to come to Spurs and I will. But as I say, I, I look at the Man United example we've talked about. And as we said, the Glazers have spent money. Yep. And they've invested in people and they've brought what on paper were very good managers in, into the club. And I look back at Spurs, right? There was a point in time where Spurs tried to appoint Louis van Gaal and he chose Man United. So Spurs took Pochettino. Probably worked out better for Spurs at the end of the day. But at the time, the fans were like, well, who's Pochettino? We wanted Louis van Gaal. And you look at the current situation at Spurs. 
that, you know, a lot of supporters like me had reached a point that we said, well, look, if Conte, who wins a trophy everywhere he goes, can't win a trophy, and Mourinho wins a trophy everywhere he goes, can't, can't win a trophy, then what more can you do? If you're Daniel Levy, you're saying, I brought in Conte, I paid him what I paid him, I did whatever we could for him, and the amount of money he was actually able to spend was not an insignificant amount of money. He brought in something like 14 players or something like that, far more than anybody else had. And you're, you're sitting there and you're Daniel Levy, you're saying, well, what else can I can I do? And and his principle has always been, I'm not going to endanger the financial health of this club. And that's a businessman speaking. And fans are basically saying, endanger the financial health, but not, not the financial health of the club, endanger the financial health of yourself, mm. <laughs> right? Of Joe Lewis's pockets and, and, you know, deep pockets and short arms and all that, and put money on the table to invest in the in the players and, and get the players. So as as Spurs fans, we sit there and we say, at the end of the day, I don't think our sense of entitlement is anything. I think we're like Newcastle in a, in a, in a way, uh, slightly more successful until recent times, but that's okay. Um, but we don't have the sense of entitlement that Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, now you know Liverpool, Man City all now have. Mm-hmm. If we got one trophy every five years, if we were in the Champions League three years out of five, and we've been in the Champions League more than that, Spurs fans, and if we played the right football, Spurs fans would actually be okay. Their issue right now is not just about money spent, it's about not coming close to winning a trophy. But even more so in recent times, it's been about where is the club going? What's the direction? How are you employing this guy, you know, Nuno Espirito Santo one day and then Conte the next day? What is your strategy? What is your? We keep having directors of football come and go and the latest is we're hearing that Paratici's scouting structure that he had set up is all going to be torn up again. Well, hold on. He wasn't fired from the club. He left the club because of what happened. So why are we tearing up his structure? Mm-hmm. I mean, so the feeling is that the club is being run by people that have no sense of direction and that, yes, you're throwing money, but that you don't have a clue. Mm. That's what the fans are saying. That's what the fans are saying, yep. And if a new owner came in and spent the same amount of money Daniel Levy has been spending, but people felt like there was a strategy, there was a plan, you haven't just jacked up your season ticket prices again as they just have. They were sending out emails at a time when Ryan Mason was in charge and where there was talk of Harry Kane leaving, saying that your season ticket prices have gone up and you need to renew by next week. And the fans were saying, you know, how tone deaf is that? And it's like when they announced that there would be a cheese room in your wonderful stadium. And we're going, we don't want a cheese room. We want, we want, we want players, a trophy right? room. <laughs> you know, we don't need, well, maybe we have trophies for the best cheese in the Premier League. No. Those are the things that are actually upsetting the Spurs fans. And you know what? We don't need a, an oil shake to deal with that. We want someone to come in that the team, that the fans feel cares about the club, cares about the team and has a direction and lets football people run the club instead of business people running the club. Uh, I, I think we've also touched on, you know, what can a fan do if certain ownership comes in? You know, you can't really just walk away from supporting your football club. Just to wrap up this conversation and, you know, ask you guys, what do you hope to see being introduced in terms of changes? Uh, but I, I first want to ask about something, and this is something that I've grappled with in these last few weeks, where every time I speak about my feelings towards why I do not want uh, Sheikh Jassim to take over the club, I'm met with... Like this hostility, di- hostility from from fellow fans, or, or almost like a 
oh, why are you taking the high road? Who do you think you are? Kind of uh, narrative that comes about. And then I, I take a step back and I realize, like, um, should I really, like, just maybe reflect back on that? Like, should I give this uh, Qatar ownership a chance kind of thing? But wh- where do you think this comes from? And how can we eliminate that uh, so-called conversation? Uh, you know, is there any changes that can be introduced in terms of uh, FIFA or, or the English Premier League to, to prevent, you know, certain sections of, of, of ownership from coming in? Or should we be open-minded to say, you know, let them come in? Uh, but maybe, you know, through this process of being owners, they will realise more about the Western side of the world and then things will change. Wh- which side are you on? What what can we see happen? I'll, I'll, I'll go because I my take is, is quick because I think James has a, a deeper understanding of this. But I feel it seems like we're the past the point of no return in terms of you know trying to regulate owners you know there is or or, or was it was uh fit and proper persons test right still so is, still yeah. is uh, for club owners and i feel that maybe the club administrators club football administrators um ought to have made sure it didn't get to this stage you know even you mentioned right at the top again uh, abramovich you know qu- questionable you know uh, where he got his wealth from but you know Obviously, he passed. He stayed in power for for you know better part of two decades, and that was seen as fine because it was, at that point there was there was only Chelsea and ah okay we will deal with one plastic team so called you know and then after that it became Man City and then it became you know obviously Newcastle and and so on, but you know now we're we're at this stage I don't know what else can be done really. James? Yeah, I, I mean look, you can look at U.S. sport and you can say that there are various measures in U.S. sport to make it more competitive, which which negates some of the aspects of financial doping, right? So you can look at their draft system and how it distributes players. You can look at their free agency models. You can look at the luxury taxes they have and, and the payroll uh, taxes and things like that, right? And, 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 how, and how that leads to a situation where you have a continual change of competitiveness. Even a lot of people don't realize that in a lot of the U.S. sports, the merchandising revenues are, are split. So even if one team has more supporters and is selling more shirts and more caps, the money all goes in a pool and, and gets split out, right? So there are a lot of things like that that redistribute wealth and make the sport more even. However, will that stop a foreign owner coming in and sport washing? So the question is, is your issue about how it's distorting competition? Because those things would address how it's distorting competition because they would level the playing field, right? Or is your issue that they're coming in and sport washing? Because I can still come in, buy a team in that situation, work within the limits and sport wash, right? Or is your issue around whether or not these people should even be owning a team in the first place, at which point you look at your fit and proper test, but the, the fit and proper test so far hasn't been doing a lot, right? And it's funny you talk about Abramovich because these owners that we're coming in and we're saying, ooh, you know, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, ooh, you know, is what it is. Abramovich just got kicked out for nothing more than the crime that his passport was a Russian passport. It was not about where his money came from or anything else. Now, I'm not sanctioning what Russia has done in Ukraine or anything else, but he got removed as an owner for the fact that he had a Russian passport. Has Abramovich ever been linked actually to any human rights violations or anything else? No, it's questionable where his money came from in terms of nepotism and, and cronyism and anything else but he's never been linked to any any of those human rights violations or anything else and yet he gets kicked out and these new owners are coming in that that, that have some question around so it's clear fit and proper test at the end of the day 
it's so subjective, it's so qualitative that you'll never actually be able to use it to enforce anything. So you kind of get to a point that you say, well, do you just have to accept that it is what it is and this is where the money is going to be spent right now and that people are going to use these clubs as playthings and that this will be where it's at. And we were all worried about Chinese investment 10 years ago. And now there's one club, right? I think left, only Wolves Wolf, left sorry. that's actually owned by a Chinese owner. What's perhaps more worrying is that right now, if you look at the Premier League, there's only four teams actually owned by English owners. But even, even then, uh, like they're owned by people who are gambling companies. Gambling, gambling yeah. companies well, right? so you've got, you've got Brentford, Brighton, Luton, and Luton's basically owned by the fans. And then you've got Spurs, which is owned by Joe Lewis, who sits somewhere in the Caribbean in a tax haven, having made money off the collapse of the British pound, right? So, so you know, those are your English remaining owners. And then, and then you can argue about West Ham owned by a Welsh owner who made all his money in porn. Um, is is this the kind of Every, everybody has something that, to, to, to be yeah, hit with, that yeah. you want that you want to look at? But on the other hand, it is the investment of these owners that is making the Premier League the best league trademark in in the world, and that makes it watchable, and what makes it exciting, and what brings it into our homes and puts it on our TVs and everything. If all these owners walked away, and we went back to the old model of some guy who owns a local used car dealership, you know, being the chairman of the of the club, and if you go back and watch. Uh, what's it? The Damned United, and you know, for those of you that are not I familiar, that I is, love that movie. By that the way. that yeah. is the kind of thing that that you really had at that point in time. Um, would f- English football be any better, or would it become a a, a backwater? You, ma- you mentioned stuff like, you know, uh, salary caps, you know, drafts, and so on. That that it, 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 like you find in North America, would that not again? And and going to your point about you know uh, making the the EPL the biggest league in the world. Would that not hamper the EPL? Right. I oh mean, no, it, it, it definitely would, right? would. I mean, yeah. you look at you look at how you know to bring it back to a Singapore context. You look at how some of the rules that have been been put in place to support Singapore football have then hampered our teams when they've gone up to Asian levels yeah. because of yeah. how many foreign players they're allowed. And if you actually look back to the English Premier League in the days where there was a limit on how many foreigners you could use when they went to Europe, and Man United were having to, to leave Peter Schmeichel out of their match day squad because they had too many foreigners, right? Rules like that, ultimately, they level the playing field. And if you are a U.S. sports team, whether you you are the world champions for winning <laughs> the U.S. <laughs> trophy, then then so be it. You can be okay. But if you're an English team and then you have these caps and you have all these things and then you go into Europe and you try to compete, yeah. then you will have issues. Yeah. And then will it still be the best league in the world? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been a very robust conversation. Uh, lots to talk about uh, football ownership. And I think this is why it's important uh, you don't just take a step back and ignore what happens in terms of football and you should actually discuss it. Uh, Sazali, thank you so much for joining and James as well. Look out for the new English Premier League season. I'm quite sure there's so many tales to be told from there. Uh, once again, thank you guys for coming in. No problem. Hey, thanks. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.